are listening to Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour, a podcast released on the first three Wednesdays of the month. Family crisis, relationship crisis, addiction crisis, no two crisis situations are the same. They vary by family, individual, and relationship. They can encompass complex family dynamics, emotional distress, anger issues, and entitlements, and often involve substance abuse. This podcast addresses these issues and others surrounding the addiction epidemic currently plaguing this country and the world. There is hope and help. Are you stuck, scared, or unsure of what to do next? If a situation with a loved one, spouse, or even a child has started to spiral, possibly becoming dangerous or threatening, it's time to seek help. My name is Scott H. Silverman. I help families navigate crisis situations. I'm the person you turn to in order to get you and your loved ones unstuck. Welcome back to the show. This is Michael Glenn Moore. I'm Scott's co-host for Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour. Today, Scott, we have yet another phenomenal guest, uh, someone I'm going to let you introduce. just want to uh, let everybody know real quickly that I am also a podcaster with another podcast called In a City Like Yours. That's where I met Scott. I interviewed him back in September of 2019, and uh, he turned out to be just a, an excellent guest, and we decided to do a, a podcast ourselves between the two of us here that uh, focuses on his his expertise in the in the realm of recovery and addiction and recovery. Scott, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then introduce our guest, and we'll start the show. Very good. Well, thanks, Michael, and it's uh, always good to talk with you. And sorry I had to wake you up early today. I know you're in a different part of the, the country, so you're a little bit ahead of us. So my name's Scott H. Silverman. Uh, this is Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour. And we call it happy hour because uh, that's when I used to uh, spend a lot of my time drinking was during the happy hour. I run an organization called Confidential Recovery. I'm also, uh, you can find me at yourcrisiscoach.com. And you can always call me or text me at area code 619-993-2738. 619-993-2738. Please call. Please text. These are tough times. You do not have to do life alone. And I'm a firm believer there's always hope. There's always help out there. Well, we have we do have a great guest today. This gentleman is uh, one of the legends in the community, and I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more about himself. But you know, I, he, he sent me his resume. It's 47 pages, 47 <laughs> pages. Anyway, Dr. Charlie Nelson is a guy who, when you call Charlie and you say, "Charlie, I need some help," Charlie will not only find a way if he can't, but find someone who can. That's kind of how we met. I was looking for people in the community who were leaders in the recovery aspect of clinical support and also the recovery community, not to break his anonymity, but I did, and he'll talk about it. I know he's done it publicly before. And Charlie specializes in you know helping individuals and their families and has really been engaged. And I'll just read you a couple things I have down here. Charlie has worked over 45 years in the mental health field and is a well-published writer for Hazleton Educational Materials. So 45 years, you know that man clearly must be on uh, Medicare by now. He's credited with writing the first book with the word codependency in the title in 1982. Charlie's recognized as an international trainer on chemical dependency and trauma. 
Charlie has actively participated as a consultant, television screenwriters, stage theater, staff regarding relationship dilemmas and other psychological issues facing script characters. Productions include, but not limited to, All in the Family, Eight is Enough, Murder, She Wrote, Trapper John, M.D. And Charlie was selected by the California governor for his Doris G. Tate Crime Victim Provider of the Year Award for his years of dedication and service to people suffering in the wake of trauma. So Charlie and I have a, a kind of some ideas we've talked about together, but I'm going to let Charlie kind of spend a couple of minutes telling you about himself. And then we're going to go into some questions and then we'll uh, chat for a little bit and we'll uh, hopefully give you a chance to, you know, hear his piece as the podcast gets put it out, put out there. And I'm sure he'll share his info. And then our goal would be for you to not only contact Charlie and find out how you can navigate next steps to get access to treatment for your loved one or access to clinical support, deal with some of the untreated trauma we're all going through right now. So with that, Charlie, let me turn it to you, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Charlie Nelson. Thank you, Scott. It was an honor to be asked to do this. I'm a little afraid we lost half of your audience. As soon as you mentioned, I'm probably on Medicare. We mentioned Trapper John and Murder, she wrote. I all apologize to everybody who's under 50 for uh, your image of me being (laughs) a teetering uh, old man. So I uh, can tell you this. I've been in the field, as he said, for 45 years. I really enjoy this kind of work. I do specialize in working with alcoholics and addicts. Um, I also specialize in working in trauma victims with the emphasis upon um, uh, violent crime, uh, parents of murdered children, and so on. And one of the things that people always ask me is, why would you want to work with alcoholics and addicts and people with these severe traumas? And my response is because it is the most redeeming kind of work I know how to do with my skill sets and the the uh, the gift that people bring to me is their experiences and their willingness to talk about it. And that's helped me to grow as a therapist. So that's my background. Let's let's get on and uh, let's see if we can help the folks that are listening to the podcast uh, learn a little bit about some of the psychological terms that we use in our field. That, and make them really easily accessible to them so they can find a way out of some of the quagmires either they're in or their family members are in or another loved one. Hey, Charlie, uh, would you mind terribly sharing your information up front? Because sometimes people will start a podcast and then they may not get to the end of it. So I always like to encourage our guests to get information out there. So if you would like people to reach you, what is the best, most effective way to do that? I think the most effective way is to call um, my my company is called Change With Direction. And so the call the Change With Direction uh, main line, it's 858-546-9255. And you can tell by the title of our organization, Change With Direction, we're not the kind of counseling agency where you people sit back as the therapist and stroke their chin and go uh-huh once in a while we're really involved in a very practical way at helping people change and that involves and lots of talking lots of interactions and not a whole lot of just sitting and staring at each other so that phone number 858-546-9255 and feel free to leave a message there if i'm not there and i'll get back to you awesome Thank you. All right. Well, let's get let's just jump into it. You know, one of the things that, you know, 
I hear families talk about, and I'm sure you do as well, is, you know, how uh, addicts or alcoholics or people that are self-medicating, chemically dependent individuals uh, need to hit a bottom. You, you know, you've heard that phrase, you know, you have to hit a bottom before you're really motivated. So in order for them to have a chance at recovering alcohol treatment and other chemical dependencies uh, support, can you tell us more about the theory of bottoms? What does that really mean, hitting a bottom? Well, as you know, the bottoms that we used to think an alcoholic was was somebody who's just lost everything. And there's they don't have any family left and they don't have any loved ones around and they've lost their car and they've lost their home and they lost their job and they're downtown uh, sleeping on a street corner. Um, that is a classic image of an alcoholic. And that's a really, really old school image of alcoholics. When we talk about the theory of bottoms, it means that, uh, yes, indeed, a person has to hit bottom typically in order for them to come back up. And there are low bottom, middle bottom, and high bottoms. And so the low bottom is the one I described. The middle bottoms are people who've lost all those things, but somehow they've got some of those things back. They might have found a, another car, but it may not be the same kind of quality. They may have gotten a new significant other but it's not the same quality it might be somebody who's sharing alcoholism with them and that's the middle bottom the high bottom is the hardest one for people to assess that they are alcoholic because they haven't lost all those things they might have lost some self-esteem they might have lost some family respect they might have lost maybe a job maybe not but definitely they have not necessarily had liver problems or um, having DTs and all the kinds of things we associate with an alcoholic. So the interesting thing about the, this theory of bottoms is that the, if you consider who has the highest rate of relapse, would it be the high bottom, the middle bottom, or the low bottom? Scott, what do you think? You know, I, I think that, it, you know, I, I, I believe the, the concept of bottom was something probably started back in the 30s from what I understood you know, and the, the philosophy was that if you weren't really motivated, you really weren't ready. I, I remember when I went into the treatment at 84 and I was told at the intake, they said, you know, you, you seem to have a very inexpensive watch on. That was kind of offensive. But they said, if you'd walked in here with a Rolex on, you know, a year or two ago in the early 80s, the odds are they would have said you're not ready. You still have stuff. So I think the idea that a, a bottom can be a great trajectory for people to get started, but I don't think people have to hit a bottom. And I absolutely agree with you. There's different levels. I mean, I, I had a job, I had a mortgage, I had a wife and not necessarily in that order. And, but I, you know, I, I tried to kill myself. I tried to take my own life. So I was really motivated to get help and had no idea about what the path looked like. So I think your, your explanation is a good one. And I think it's a piece of sound advice that people have to maybe really try to really put their arms around because sometimes if you wait for someone to hit a bottom, you know, you may be going to their funeral and, you know, hence the term inter intervention. You know, that's why I'm a crisis coach. I try to help people navigate how they get to the best level of care possible. And Scott, so moving on, real quick, the answer to that question is the who, who has the highest rate of relapse. It typically is the high bottom because they haven't had enough wreckage. And so that's important for us to remind people who I still have a job. I'm still the head of my company. I'm still functioning well. My spouse hasn't left me. No, you're still an alcoholic if you're an alcoholic. The other one was who has the highest rate of accidental death? High bottoms because they still have a counter for them to hit their head on when they're falling down drunk or a car to crash their car into a telephone pole. 
right. uh, that'll get you a, a pretty good look at the, the theory of bottoms. Moving forward, Charlie, next question. Alcohol is one of the most powerful depressants we can put into our body. Why do people continue to drink knowing that what they're putting in their body is going to potentially not only contribute to their depression, but it's going to, you know, it's going to be like driving in a car with the windshield blacked out, meaning you've got this major obstacle. You, you know, everything's going to be opaque. Why, you know, why is that? Why is alcohol one of the most powerful depressants we can put in our body? The curious thing on a physiological level, the alcohol being this, one of the top depressants you can stick into your body, it takes about 16 to 18 hours for that depression to kick in. So the alcohol goes in and it, and it gets into the bloodstream, gets into the brain, and it causes this delayed reaction for the depression. So when they're drinking, the name of your podcast is Happy Hour. So when they're there drinking at Happy Hour, they're feeling like they're happy. The problem is they don't realize that 18 hours later, that depression they're having is not because, gee, I, I'm having a better life when I'm drinking. It's because the effects of the alcohol itself take that long for it to kick in, causing the depression. So they're feeling depressed. They think that 18 hours ago, I was feeling better when I was drinking. I might as well drink again. And so it becomes the vicious cycle. Right. And when they wake up the next day, hung over with a headache, you know, and their tongue, their tongue and their mouth feels like they've been chewing on dirt all night. What is the next best thing to make themselves feel better is to kind of get back to where they were the night before. Right. Assuming they remember it. Yep. There you go. OK. By the way, a sidebar. Do you know where the term happy hour came from? I do not. I don't either. <laughs> and I'm going to look it up. I think it's because when you went into a bar, you got, you know, when you bought a drink, you got two for one and they had hors d'oeuvres. So I think that's where it came from. But I got to tell you, I will do some research this week because I don't think I have a specific definition for it. And I'm sure it came from some unusual story from somebody. I am okay, willing to so guess, I'm willing to guess that it was a marketing ploy to get people into the bars earlier to get the thing going. That's my theory. I, I love this one cartoon I saw, uh, Scott. It had a, a picture of all these people in a bar. They're all looking super depressed. And on the sign over the bar is where it said happy hour. It had quotes around happy. And it's a reminder of, well, okay, yeah, it's not necessarily happy. In fact, it just can be very depressing to be sitting in a bar in the morning or in, time in the middle of the day drinking. True, true. Okay, next one for you, Charlie. What is euphoric recall and how does it come into play with alcoholism and other chemical dependencies? Euphoric recall, what is that? Well, euphoria is the feelings you have, and it's not just with pot. It can be with the other chemical dependencies, as you noted. And it, the very first time that uh, most people drink, uh, they're not having the, the immediate effect or they're smoking pot or doing numerous of the other drugs. But eventually, within a short order, they reach the best high they'll ever have in their lives. And that is something they are chasing for the rest of their lives, to be able to get that same sense, that euphoria that they call. Recall, their brain remembers what it was like, and they're chasing it, and they're chasing it, and they're chasing it. And usually, they don't get there again, but they can remember it quite well, just like your first kiss. But we don't go around chasing every human being around to get another first kiss. We're going to be in trouble. Great explanation. Thank you. 
All right. Now, one of the things that Charlie and I did, we talked about, you know, what can we discuss together? And he, he submitted some ideas and thoughts. So I'm about to read a couple of words in the next couple of questions that, you know, I can't really pronounce because I've actually never seen them before. So I'm going to do my best, Charlie. And if I butcher him, you let me know. So this next one looks like what is anhedonia and how does it come into play with alcoholism, other chemical dependencies? Did I pronounce that correctly? Anhedonia. So the easy way for you to remember it and for your listeners, it's A-N-H-E-D-O-N-I-A. And if you recognize the word in the middle of that, it's hedon. So hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure, right? An or a in front of any word typically means the opposite. So asexual means somebody who's not sexual. Uh, Afebrile means you haven't had a febrile seizure. Uh, You can name a variety of things that have that A and AN in front of it. So anhedonia means you lose the ability to experience the sensation of pleasure from things that used to be pleasurable for you. And that's one of the interesting things about alcohol. Most of the other drugs is that because you got so used to pumping up that high to such a high level, if you imagine it being a thermometer and your set point in the middle is 98.6, well, this one here, instead of measuring temperature, this pretend thermometer measures the ability to experience the sensation of pleasure and or hedonism. So you move up. Because you had a wonderful experience, the thermometer goes up because you're now experiencing more pleasure. And it continues up as the day progresses with all the problem with chemical dependency is it raises that baseline. So it raises it up to about 104. And so, yeah, you have a lovely meal with somebody and, you know, you're just thinking it's food. It's not really a pleasurable experience. You go see a movie that most people would rave about or maybe that person would have raved about before, and now they can't feel any pleasure. They go through all these ple- what used to be pleasurable for them, and it's no longer pleasurable. And so that's anhedonia. And bad news is it doesn't just go away when you quit drinking or using. It takes about two years for anhedonia to go away. And the good news is that you can speed that process up by doing uh, cardiovascular exercise and maintaining your program of recovery. But if you go back drinking or using, you can pretty much expect anhedonia is going to come back. Next great word, limerence. All right, limerence. That, by the way, just for your listeners, we're not saying limericks, the little dirty jokes from England. It's limerence, L-I-M-E-R-A-N-C-E. This is that psychological and emotional and physical state you go into when you're infatuated with somebody. So you can kind of remember, I was talking about kissing before the first time. You remember the first person you kissed and you got, you know, probably a sense of limerence where it's releasing in the brain, by the way, the exact same neurochemistry that's released when people do cocaine. Now you know why cocaine is so addicting. And it causes the person to uh, have physical sensations. They lose their ability to talk uh, clearly. Uh, they get what we refer to as dodo-headed. We've never been there before, have we, Scott, dodo-headed? No. Not, and so, <laughs> not, that, not that I can remember. <laughs> right. Well, what happens is limerence uh, lasts in relationships about two months to maybe six months on an average. And then you move out of limerence, you move into love and other things. Well, when you remember that anhedonia we talked about is something new for you, but this limerence you're saying is a new word for you too, because 
it's more about relationships and with people. But we can have limerence also with drugs or alcohol. For instance, the first time you do it, maybe not, maybe, but pretty soon after that, you're going to have a limerent experience. And it you fall in love with that experience, and then you want to chase that experience. In love, or when you eventually get to love, you know what it's like to transition to that. But you can remember also back what it was like to be in limerence. So when somebody, say, is six months into the relationship and the limerence is gone and they happen to have addictive personalities, they just think the love is gone. No, it's just the limerence that's gone. So what do they do? They go chase another limerent relationship and another limerent relationship. So they get into addiction to relationships. Make sense? It absolutely does now. <laughs> it's now. All right. The, the words just get longer as we get going here, buddy. All right. Mm-hmm. The next one, confabulation. Confabulation is classic for alcoholics and other addicts. And it, it is the brain, a mindset where you begin to believe your own BS. So you truly believe that what you are, uh, the story you're telling, the memory of what that you had of what's been going on is real. It's not. It's it's delusional. But it, you walk in on it and you believe. And that's something that alcoholics do in their denial is they begin to believe their BS. Very good. So next, a couple of interesting words. It sounds similar, but uh, they're spelled differently. What do psychologists mean when they talk about dystonic versus syntonic? You pronounce them perfectly. So when we have behaviors or thoughts that are really uncomfortable, we call that dystonic. So the typical diagnoses of people out there that are dystonic about their condition are depression. I mean, they don't people don't like depression. Uh, what else do we have that we can see people who are suffering from anxiety or post-traumatic stress or numerous other things? So it it's dystonic. It means the dis means that it's against how your better feelings for your in, in the moment. You're feeling anxious, depressed, etc. Syntonic means you don't even notice it existing. It's like what? That's not a problem. That's a problem for alcoholics, because if you're dystonic, you don't see the problem. And you, Scott, have run into hundreds, if not thousands of of people in your work who their drinking was syntonic. They they didn't see it as a problem. It's like Alfred E. Newman. I showed my age again when he'd say, what, me worry? What's there to worry about? There's nothing in their mind that seems to be a problem with that. But if they look at their family members who are all pulling their hair out and who are, they're feeling pretty dystonic about the alcoholic or the addicts drinking. That's the difference between syntonic and dystonic. So syntonic means you probably convinced yourself you don't have a problem, which is part of denial. You know, this is fascinating. That's why we brought you on Charlie, because our listeners are out there, they're asking for, you know, more information. How can they better understand? And just having some little, you know, I'm going to call them tips and tricks, which is another way of saying having, you know, the right kind of information to, to be able to establish, you know, what you're seeing, hearing, feeling, and how to really, you know, put your arms around it. And if you don't know what it is, more importantly, you know, part of what I do with my, you know, family navigating is help get people pointing in the right directions to get to experts like yourself 
so they can much better understand, you know, either the individual has the problem or the problem individual has family members who really want to try to help. All right. Our next one, and it looks like our last one on this list, is, is it asceticism? Asceticism. Thank you. Before I get to asceticism, asceticism really quickly, I just wanted to remind people that the one of the number one features of alcoholism and chemical dependency, this is under the syntonic discussion we were having, drugs and alcohol convince you. It's the number one side effect. It convinces you you don't have a problem. And that's what you get to see every day, Scott, in your work, and uh, I do too in my work. So anyway, on to your question. What is asceticism? It's the root word for asceticism were the ascetics. And those were the, we've all seen cartoons and and, uh, read about this in books of the hermit or the guru that's sitting in the mountain uh, with a, in a big at the entrance to a cave who's looking down on the village and they're making judgments about the people down there in the village dancing and cavorting and having sex and I don't know if I said listening to music and whatever and they they are referred to as the ascetics the people who get a little bit of a high out of not participating in that scene that's going down down there at the bottom of the valley so that word eventually evolved over times and no longer took a a negative implication. It just means we as a human being get a little bit of a high by rejecting the opportunity to do things that we know would be bad for us. So the let's say you go to a restaurant and uh, there's some people in the restaurant and you go up to the host or the hostess and I uh, say like a table and they say, oh, the, we don't have a room right now, but why don't you go sit in the bar, which is the cash cow, by the way, for the restaurant. And why don't you go sit in the bar and we will uh, call your name when uh, a seat comes available. Well, if you're an alcoholic like uh, you and I, we would uh, say, no, it's OK. I'm, I'm going to sit here. Just call me when a table comes available. And what do you know? Immediately a table becomes available. <laughs> So we get an asceticism or an ascetic high from the fact that we've rejected the opportunity to go have a drink and the restaurant is going to do just fine because we're there. Now, you sit down and they say, what would you like to drink? And the person next to you wants a nice tea and another person next to them wants a uh, Diet Coke. Maybe the next person wants a beer. Maybe they're a normie, a person that can drink normally, not an alcoholic. They come to you and they say, what would you like to drink? And I'd say an iced tea. And they say, oh, a Long Island iced tea. <laughs> and I go, no, 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 thank you. I immediately have an ascetic high. That's the asceticism because I'm not holier than thou. I'm just simply saying, wow, I could do that. But I don't do that anymore. And that feels really, really good. And that's asceticism. And uh, hopefully, um uh, that helped you learn a whole bunch of new words. And that's one of the things Scott and I both love to do. And that's to learn new stuff every day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Charlie, you've given us a world of information, you know, and, and our time's coming to an end here. I want to ask you a, um, a question. If, if you had a magic wand, you know, and right now, you know, in the current environment with the virus and what's going on with the rioting, you know, demonstrations and the protesting and, and the huge amount of change with Black Lives Matter right now and, you know, as a country and a culture and a world, there's so much that we really need to, you know, focus on right now, or it's coming at us, whether you want to focus on it or not. What would you, if you had a magic wand right now, what would you want to tell people that you think 
would be helpful and, and probably more specifically helpful to encourage them when they hear this broadcast to call you, to call me, to call Michael and say, you know, I need help. Those three words that are so important, but so hard for the average person to ask. Well, well, if you had the magic wand, what would you want to tell people? What would you want to tell the listener to do? Uh, Our uh, listener. Well, first of all, I'll tell you what I would tell them to do, but let me just remind you what we want to do is bring them back hope and hope is based on, um, you know, good research and experience. So there's a word called tropophobia, which means the fear of change. And a lot of people come in and they say they want to change, but they they're afraid of change, too, at a deeper level. They may not even be aware of that because change can be difficult. That's why most people avoid it. Yet. Not changing may be easier in the short term and on the long term that where does that lack of change lead to? So when people don't believe they can learn anything or new or change, it's very likely they won't. I like to help them see that they really can make it. So I move down the path of showing the reality is, yeah, you, you could die. But if you don't change, you know, you're going to speed that process up. But I believe in you. And I think let's help you begin to believe in you, too. And that's my approach. And I'm a big believer in 12-step program. I tend to guide most of my people to that as an option. But there are plenty of other alternatives to 12-step if that's not their thing. Very well put. All right. So, Charlie, tell people, if you would, share with people, how can they reach you? Okay. What's the best way to reach you? Uh, best, as we were mentioning earlier, call my office, 858-546-9255. And the name of my uh, agency is Change With Direction. And uh, you can just ask for Charlie Nelson, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. During this, uh, during this COVID business, um, uh, we're doing 100% Zoom meetings. Uh, and when things change, then we're going to be back in the office doing uh, live face-to-face. That's great. So, Michael, what did we miss today? Anything? Nothing I'm aware of um, other than maybe our positive quote to close us out. Um, Charlie, I yep. just want to say real quick that uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. I know it's uh, it's a Saturday, and you probably had other things that you could be doing. And, and that you've taken your time out of your day to speak with us and our listeners is, is fantastic. I really, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for that. That's, uh, that's a gift. And I'm loving hearing that and getting to, to sit with Scott anytime when you get to know Scott, if you listen to more of his podcasts, you're going to get to know he's the real deal. He's really trying to help human beings out. He's been there. So have I. We're walking examples that you can make it out the other side. And just remember, this is a much happier hour than sitting at a bar, staring at a drink, or sitting at your pipe, or sitting at your line of cocaine in front of you, or sitting at that needle, or in any of the other ways that you ingest your drug of choice. This is a happy life, and it's pretty darn special. And I I thank you for having the opportunity to share about my perspectives. I'm, I'm going to sign off real quick, Mike, then I'm going to throw it back to Charlie for the close. If that's okay. Again, thanks for listening today. This is Scott H. Silverman. This is Happy Hour. Please give us a call. Reach me at 619-993-2738, 619-993-2738, anywhere in the country. Text or call me. I'll get back to you within 24 hours. 
And with that, Charlie, thank you so much. As Michael said, let me echo that for coming in today and being part of uh, our segment that will be airing in a couple of weeks based on how busy Mike is. And he's very busy. And would you uh, send us off with a parting thought, please? Yeah, that's funny. Um, I, I had already kind of had a, my parting thought and I, and I wove it into something earlier. <laughs> so I'm going to reach right now for something else that hits me. And that is mainly, mainly we've all heard that old phrase about when one door closes and new door opens. But, you know, it's between those two doors that people often discover that fire and smoke of change. And it is that that time of transition that many people find some season direction to be invaluable in their life. And that's what we're here for and what Scott's here for. And that is it's available. And if it's not the two of us, there are people out there who can you can reach out to and, and get your needs met and, in the community and, and don't allow your denial about being able to recover match your denial about your alcoholism or your drug addiction.